Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. God now reveals himself to a man of faith and explains to us through the life of Abram how salvation would work. And it's called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. God is imputing righteousness upon those who are saved. And notice it's a banking term. It says he counted Abraham righteous or accounted. Some translations even say accredited Abram with righteousness. It's this banking term. It's as though God takes your bank account of extreme debt that you could never even pay back. And he not only wipes the slate clean and zeroes out the debt, he deposits vast amount of riches in your account. That's what's taking place. You're accredited with righteousness. In fact, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, perhaps the most concise explanation of imputed righteousness, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Probably my favorite verse. It says that He, Jesus, became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And what that verse is saying is that Jesus, this, the Son of God, God the Son who was sinless, who was rich beyond measure in righteousness, infinitely rich with regards to righteousness, He became the embodiment of your sin and of mine. And, and took the wrath of God upon Himself. He paid the sin debt to wipe our slate clean. And in turn we become the embodiment of the righteousness of Christ as we have faith in Him. Like I said, He not only wipes out your debt, He actually puts your name on Jesus' bank account. So that as you stand before God with faith in Christ, God looks at you as though you had lived the righteous life of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incre- That's imputed righteousness. Guys, try to understand this. Those of you sitting in here right now who have true faith in Jesus, God is looking down on you right now. And He does not see you in your sin, past, present, or future. He sees you beaming, glowing in the righteousness of Christ. Guys, that is the gospel. That is the good news. He doesn't see all the little nasty sins, all the, all the thoughts that you think. If you have faith in Christ, your sin debt has been paid and you are as righteous as Jesus. That is the good news. Not that you could earn it and attain it and work really hard for it. That is not the gospel. But you believe and God accredits it to you as righteous. But how? How do I, how do I really know that, Sean, that I, that I have this righteousness? You receive it the same way Abram received it. How did he receive it? God said it and he believed it. He believed in God. Now, I want to tell you that he didn't just believe that God existed and therefore he was good to go. In fact, James, the book of James says, even the demons believe and tremble. Faith that leads to salvation is more than just believing God exists. What really did Abraham believe? He believed in God's word. He believed in God's promise. And that is true faith. You don't just believe in a general God. 
You believe in the God who has revealed Himself, the true and living God who has made promises to you, and you put your faith and trust in those promises. Look, you might believe in God tonight, and I want to tell you, if, if you believe in God but you don't believe in the Bible, then you do not have true faith. You do not believe in the true and living God. You have faith in something, I'll give you that, but it's not in the true and living God who has revealed Himself through the pages of the book sitting on your lap. Because God has revealed Himself. In fact, I love Pastor Robert's working definition of faith. He says it pretty frequently. He says, faith is believing God enough to do what He says. It's believing in God's Word enough to do what He says. I'll add to that. Because as we look at Abram's example, we see this. It's, it's a lot plain, even plainer than that. Faith is believing that God will do what He says. You guys get that? Faith is believing that God will do what God says He will do. If God said He will judge sin, faith says, I believe that. If God said you can be saved through faith in a relationship with Jesus Christ, faith says, I believe that. You see, it's kind of two sides to one coin. True faith says, God will fulfill and I will obey. That's what true faith says. That's what we see lived out in Abram's life. I believe God will fulfill His promise. Therefore, I am walking in these promises. Go back to my house analogy. When you, if and when you receive the keys from the house that I built you, does your reception of those keys have any bearing on the foundation of that house? On its integrity? On the stability of the framing? The electrical work? Does you receiving the keys have any effect on the actual credibility of the house that I built you. It has zero. And if you were to receive the keys to this house and move in, would you have anything to boast about? Gee, these are amazing floors. Where'd you? Well, actually, I didn't have any say in these floors, um, but they are great, aren't they? Look at that. Look at the, uh, the, the, the color scheme and the palette. It's great. I know. I didn't. It was all God. It was all, well, it was all Sean, if we're going to pretend. Right? But this is accredited righteousness. You receive it. Verse 7. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Let's get this straight, Abram. I want you to, to remember who I am. I love that, that God specifies who he is to Abram. I am Yahweh. I'm, I'm Jehovah, the God of promises. I am more than just the deist's general view of God, the God of creation, who's so transcendent that like, you, don't know, you can't know me. I am the God who's been hanging with you, Abram, who's been talking with you, who's been leading you. This shows me that, and reminds me that God is relational. And thank God He is because we wouldn't know Him otherwise. You could not figure out God on your own. God has to approach us. God has to initiate with us, and He does that. He says, Abram, remember? Look at my track record. I've been with you this whole time. I'm the same God. You know me, and I know you. Verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. You're like, well, I was tracking with you, Sean, up until that verse. That's kind of weird. 
Well, it sounds weird. It sounds odd. But this is essentially the way serious contracts were made in Abram's day. They would take these animals, chop them in half, and put them on either side and walk through as a way of saying, this covenant is so serious that if I break my end of this bargain, then I, may I be like these animals. I'm taking my life into my own hands. That's how serious this covenant is. And what God's doing here, Abram's like, how will I know? What, what are you going to give me as proof? And God, in a, in a sense, in, in Abram's term, is saying, I'll write you a contract. Go call your lawyer. Let's get a notary person here. I'll write you a contract. That's what God is saying here. And again, this just shows me that God is, He's not just relational, but He wants to speak to us in a way that we can understand. This was something God, Abram as, as a, as a, bus, a, a um, successful, wealthy businessman who was a herdsman, he would have been familiar with his contract. And he's like, now you're speaking my language, Lord. I understand what that means. You guys realize God is so holy and transcendent and he's out of your league. I'm sorry to tell you that. Like God's out of your league. He's out of mine. He's way out of my league. But God has not only revealed himself to us, he's not ashamed to speak to us on our level. There's a verse in the Bible, I'm forgetting where it is now, but it says that God actually kneels down. He stoops to interact with us. I mean, that's a picture that the creator of the universe would stoop to kneel down to, kneel down to you, to have a relationship with you and with me. Now, it's my understanding that this kind of contract would actually require both parties to walk through by saying they're both going to agree to keep up their, their side of the bargain. So both Abram and the Lord would have had to walk through this. But what's unique about this contract, as we'll see later on in this chapter, is that only the Lord passes through. He causes this torch to pass through. Abram never actually walks through this. And what God is saying is he's vowing to fulfill the entire contract himself. God is promising to take care of it. Abram just had to sit back and believe. He had to watch God promise and say, okay, I believe you're going to do that, Lord. And this is the work of salvation. It's like the house. It is 100% a work of God for you to be saved. It's not 50% you try really hard, 50% God. It's not what the Mormons teach. Uh, the Mor- Mormonism actually teaches that you, you do your best to get to heaven. You, do, you be the best person you can be, and then God's grace makes up for the rest. That is not the gospel. Guys, it's not even 1% up to you. You don't even, there's not even 1% that you do. God does everything for you to be saved. You simply believe. You simply receive it. You simply allow it to transform you. That's the work of God. So Abram prepares these animals for the contract. Verse 11. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Hey, Abram, you're kind of worried about this promise? Let me assure your heart by giving you a nightmare, (laughs) letting darkness fall on you and tell you some horrible news about your offspring. What is God doing? What's going on here? You see, God is assuring Abram. He'll go on to say, Abram, don't worry because you're going you're gonna, to uh, live a long life and you'll die in this land. But he gives him this insight into the future of the nation of Israel. 
And as he seeks to assure Abram's heart, he gives him a prophecy that pertains strictly to his descendants. It, I mean, it, would, it really speaks nothing of Abram. And therefore, Abram doesn't profit a whole lot by receiving this. This is written and recorded for future generations, for posterity. This greatly benefited the Israelites. And one thing I see in this right away is that as Abram is struggling to even see how he's going to have one kid, God already sees the nation he will become and he's speaking like they're already in existence. God already sees your calling fulfilled. He already believes in it. That's, he, he, he's already ready to accomplish it. It's like it's already been done. But like I said, this prophecy more serves the posterity. He gives them a sign. And their sign is captivity in another land for 400 years. The sign of the assurance of their calling is what? It's adversity. This is just one more example that adversity is a part of God's calling on your life. You should expect adversity along the path. God is saying to the nation of Israel, the proof that I have given you this promised land is your captivity in another land for 400 years. That's the proof that this land belongs to you. It's that you're not going to live in it for 400 years. And I'm telling you beforehand so that when this adversity comes, the very thing that will make you think it is not your land anymore will be the assurance that it is your land. I love how God works. I love how He calls His shots to assure the Israelites so that they could look back and be like, wow, remember how God said we'd be in Egypt for 400 years? Do you really think He's going to give us this land? I think so. I think so. But the sign was adversity. Expect that adversity, guys. Verse 14. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and after they shall come out with great possessions. Of course, this is talking about the Exodus. When they left with Egypt's gold, the neighbors were like paying Israel to leave. They're like, please get out. Just get out of my house. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And then get this, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Very interesting verse. Who are the Amorites? The Amorites were actually in the family of the Canaanites, one of the Canaanite groups. And they uh, participated in child sacrifice to Molech. God promised to destroy them. One day God was going to wipe them out. But I find this concept, the fact that God is saying, you're going to go hang in this country yet because I'm still giving the Amorites some time. I'm still giving the Canaanites a little bit of time. Oh, I'm going to judge them, but not till their iniquity is complete. This, it's, it's amazing to me. It speaks of God's foreknowledge. It speaks of God's mercy. It speaks of God's thorough judgment that God will wait. He doesn't judge you beforehand, but His judgment is just. God knows that they will sin greatly, and yet He says that He will wait until they accomplish this some determined amount of sin before He judges them that only God knows. God is merciful, way more merciful than you and I. In fact, if, if, if you saw all the messed up stuff that happened just in Tucson last night, you'd probably be like... Is done. I'm coming back. I'm ending this. God is so merciful, but there's a, there's a hard line where God knows and sees, and he sees, he sees, He watches nations get closer and closer to that line. There's another group of people, Sodom and Gomorrah, who are about to hit that point. 
and God will bring judgment on them. But God was so patient with the Amorites, He gives them 400 years to change their ways. But at this moment, they're already personally condemned. And that's what intrigues me about this verse. Judgment is coming for the Amorites, but it's not going to happen for 400 years because their iniquity is not yet complete. They are positionally condemned. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he said that the Son of God, the, uh, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He says, because the world stands condemned already. The world is positionally condemned, already standing condemned, like the Amorites. And as God gives you time, as God has given you a life to live, I want to tell you that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God is merely waiting to judge you. He's waiting till your iniquity is complete. I know that is not a pleasant thing to hear, but you are positionally condemned before God if you are apart from Jesus Christ. You stand condemned already. You are just like the Amorites awaiting destruction. But I want to tell you that that can change. It doesn't have to remain that way. And so I want to tell you, as I close this message out in a bit here, how you can change that. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the, uh, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So he says, it's going to happen. You guys are going to come into this land. You're going to have this territory. You learn that the actual land that they claim is only like 10% of what God promised him here. It's pretty crazy. So as, as we end these, uh, these, this text tonight, guys, I want to give you six things to remember when you're fearful in your calling. When you're fearful in the walk of faith, I want you to take heart for six reasons. Six reasons that our text gave us tonight. Number one, take heart because a true call is supposed to have needs that only God can fill. So don't be surprised. Don't freak out when there's holes and question marks. He is your shield and your reward. Number two, God's work is typically slow and steady. God's Abr Abram's son was supposed to come late. So don't freak out if it hasn't happened. Number three, take heart because God is more than able to fulfill His promise. Look at the stars if you doubt that. Number four, take heart because God has already brought you this far. He said, I am the God who called you. I'm the God who brought you to this land. God has brought you this far. You think He's going to leave you hanging the rest of the way? Take heart, guys. Fifth reason, take heart because God already sees His promise fulfilled. When Abram doubted the son, God spoke to the nation that would become. And then the sixth reason that you should take heart is because adversity is, is merely a part of the process. God says Egypt is a part of the plan to receive the promised land. So don't freak out when things get hard. May that assure you that it's, that it's God's plan for you. And lastly, we see here, we, it, it closes with the Amorites awaiting judgment, but God's people of promise awaiting 
salvation, awaiting the blessing, awaiting the promised land. And though there are thousands of nations in this world, guys, there are only two people that exist in all the world. These two people, those awaiting judgment and those awaiting salvation. And that's it. What category do you fall in? Who do you belong to? This is how you can be certain that you are in the latter group, awaiting salvation. Jesus said in John 3 that the world stands condemned already, but he went on to say something amazing. He said, but whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes, just as Abram believed, whoever believes God's promise enough to obey his commands, whoever believes God enough to put their faith and trust in Christ and have a relationship with him, will have the hope of salvation. And if you truly believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, your expectation of judgment that perhaps you've felt tonight through this message can be turned into a certain hope, an expectation of salvation. In just a moment, this amazing transaction can take place whereby God's expectant condemnation upon you will be switched over And God begins to view you in the righteousness of Christ. You can receive it right now. You can receive it listening to this message. You can do that business with the Lord and it will take place and the angels of heaven will rejoice. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that as we close in prayer. Father, we just want to give you thanks that God, you you have made a way. You have initiated this conversation. You have spoken into our lives Revealed Yourself to us and beyond that, God, You have paid dearly so that we would be saved. And God, I pray that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice You made to redeem us, to reconcile us, to make us righteous, I pray that it would not be in vain for anyone in this room. I pray that it would not go overlooked, that it would not go rejected. I pray that these men and women would have the faith to take the keys of salvation and dwell in the house of salvation for the rest of their lives. Positionally experiencing your grace, your mercy, being viewed in the righteousness of Christ. And if they have not made that business with you, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage, the wisdom to do that right this moment. And if that's you, if you have not received Jesus Christ, and God is speaking to your heart, maybe tonight's the first time you've started to fear hell a little bit. Maybe tonight is the first night you've started to desire a relationship with Jesus, do not ignore that inkling in your heart. Do not ignore God tugging on those heartstrings because you might not get another chance. Nowhere in the Bible does it say tomorrow is the day of salvation. There will come a day as Sodom and Gomorrah is judged and it will be too late for them. Do not let that day come for you. Receive Jesus Christ this moment. If you'd like to do that, if you're in this room, just raise your hand. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Just raise your hand up high. And if you're listening to it, you're on Instagram, you're listening to this podcast down the road, just right where you are, just acknowledge God in your heart right now and receive Him. God bless you. That's awesome. Just receive Him as your Savior. You in the back over there, that's awesome. Just acknowledge Him. If if you would like to receive Him, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer does not save you. It's a roadmap to give you what your heart desires to communicate to God as it's being saved. You just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. But I also know, God, that I can be forgiven. 
by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so I invite you into my life. I turn from my sins. Lord, I believe that Jesus can wipe out my sin debt and that I could receive the righteousness of Christ, that I could live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.